This is the Detroit Sports Podcast Network. The United Shore Professional Baseball League games at Jimmy John's Field are the fun family entertainment experience that you just can't afford to miss. It's Thirsty Thursdays, Firework Fridays, Live Music Saturdays, and Sunday Fun Day for the kids. And don't forget, kids get to run the bases after every game. And parking is always free. Jimmy John's Field in downtown Utica is your summer destination. Get your tickets today at USPBL.com. And welcome to the latest edition of the USPBL podcast. I am your host, Vito Churko. And I am riding solo on this week's edition of the USPBL pod as my usual co-host, sidekick, and partner in crime and fun, the doc from Doc and Jock, that is John Charles McElroon, is out on vacation enjoying the sunshiny state of Florida. And with that being said, I am joined on this week's episode by Director of Baseball Operations in the USPBL, Justin Orenduff, a former first-rounder of the LA Dodgers back in 2004, who founded the Delivery Value System, which aims to limit injuries in pitchers. And Justin in the league is all about the developmental side of things, about getting guys ready for the big leagues, and getting guys inked with Major League Baseball organizations specifically. And with that being said, One of the individuals that did ink a contract with a big league organization has reached the majors, thus making USPBL history by becoming the first alum of the league to reach the bigs. And his name, Randy Dobnak of the Minnesota Twins, who pitched this past Friday night and threw four scoreless innings for the Twinkies in his Major League Baseball debut. Big news right there, and the biggest news thus far for the league since its inaugural season in 2016. And Randy is just one of 34 guys now that have inked contracts with big league clubs. As just recently, two more individuals have inked contracts with Major League Baseball organizations. And their names are Noah Gotsis and Kyle Alagiz. Noah of the Eastside Diamond Hoppers and Kyle of the Birmingham Bloomfield Beavers, two right-handed arms that signed with the Colorado Rockies. Noah led the league in wins with four and strikeouts per game with nearly nine while boasting an earn run average of 3.35. As for Kyle, he had the league's third most wins and struck out 31 batters and 45 innings pitched and had been one of the more consistent pitchers in the league over the course of the last two seasons. And that's where the theme and the, the mantra of the United Shore Professional Baseball League comes into play. The development of these arms and position players over time in order to allow them to become guys that are able to join big league clubs. And one of the guys, once again, that rolls all the way through the Twins farm system to the Twins Major League Club is Randy Dobnak. And Justin, my guest, once again on this week's episode, talks all about Randy Dobnak's progress through the USPBL back in 2017 with the Utica Unicorns, about what Randy's arsenal consists of. Also, we touch upon Ty Hensley, currently of the Utica Unicorns, and whether or not 
Justin believes that Ty will get another shot with the big league organization and what he needs to continue to work on in order to get that chance once again. All of that with Justin and more right now. So to start off here, Justin, Justin, thanks for doing this with me. Really appreciate it. Now, how did you get to the United Shore Professional Baseball League? So this first year, 2016, um, I had had previous contact with Brian Berryman, you know, who was the director of baseball operations his inaugural season. And he said, as league starts, we want to bring you in as the throwing coordinator for the entire league. He had followed my stuff, some of my stuff I did with DVS. So, and I agreed. I said, it'd be a great opportunity for me. So I came up oversaw the entire pitching program throwing coordination for the league and at the end of the year that's where uh, we're kind of prepping for next year I was going to come back in kind of a similar capacity in 2017 Berryman stepped away I think about a month and a half before the season started and that's where I became you know the director of baseball operations as it stands today and there we go a second of that now what is that job as the director of baseball operations in the U.S. PBL exactly entail for you Justin You know, it's funny because I kind of get this question a lot, right? And I would say that I deal more within the development philosophy, you know, putting the plan in place, the, the branding of the baseball, and more of a kind of a general manager capacity, anywhere from the signings, the scouting, you know, how we're going to go about the evaluations of players. And obviously, I have to build my own internal staff to help the players. So it's a lot where my focus is. And Mike Zelensky handles a lot of our, you know, day-to-day business transactions, admin stuff, paperwork. You know, he's the guy with the contracts that kind of makes all that happen. And uh, how about Randy Dobnek and him pitching for the Utica Unicorns and rising now to the major leagues, to the Minnesota Twins, becoming the first U.S. PBL player to actually make it to the bigs. How big of a note and just a moment is that for the United Shore Professional Baseball League? Well, that's definitely the pinnacle of what we do and what we set out to do. And now that it's happened, it kind of opens up this gateway and path for all current and future USPBL players to say, you know what, this is a realistic goal that I could obtain by coming to the United Shore Professional Baseball League, working my way through, developing to give me an opportunity to get to the next level. And, you know, that's always our primary goal first, right, is just to get a guy signed, give him enough kind of, a, you know, development of the skill set, give him some knowledge, enhance his process, and he's got to continue to go do it. You know, when Randy's a guy, is a perfect example of continuing to do it in means of continual and consistent performance, which has allowed him the opportunity to get promoted into the big leagues. For those that don't know about Randy, which includes myself, what does his arsenal, pitching arsenal, consist of? So he throws this technically one-seamer, as they're calling it's more like a sinker, right? He throws a slider changeup, and he's going to sit anywhere from 91 to 93, 94, can hit a 95, 96. It looks like with this time of the twins his average velocity keeps going up like the other night and he made his debut i mean there's a lot of threes a lot of fours and some fives in there you know hard slider 82 83 with some downward action you know so his stuff and his repertoire has increasingly improved as he's kind of gotten into the twin system so I brought up how Randy pitched for the Unicorns. Now, a yeah. current pitcher for them is Ty Hensley, yeah. who was in a farm system at one point with the Yankees, a first-rounder, a lot of aspirations for him to yeah. become a big leaguer one day and become a frontline starting arm. He was a guest, actually, on last week's episode, oh, nice. too, okay. of the USPBL podcast. Now, talk about him a little bit. Sure. And do you think he'll get a shot again in the big leagues? I do. And I think that one thing with Ty... 
And because he had the injuries, because he was a high school draft pick, he went through some adversity, right? He's had to really learn a lot of those things that you learn in the early stages, 18, 19, 20, 21. Some guys learn them in college. He's learned some pitchability stuff. He's learning when to throw a pitch and not throw a pitch, right? So he's, he's understanding what we give him with how to have the delivery help you long term, stay healthy, avoid the injuries, utilize his natural talents, which he has one of the best curveballs we've ever seen, right? But use that to his effectiveness to help set up consistent performance. And he's definitely making huge strides. I know it's not the fastest timeline that he would want it, but he's learning a ton and he's going to be better for it long term. And I know I said to get back in the big leagues. I meant with a big league organization league and a right. farm system specifically. Now, what does he need to continue to work on then in order to get that shot again with the Major League Baseball organization? Yeah, so he basically needs to understand what his pitchers are doing, right? And be able to consistently kind of one of the hot things now is tunnel the baseball, right? Be able to throw his curveball off his fastball, have the same look, and just trust a lot of his stuff. You know, sometimes you see him, he'll get to one, two, oh, two counts, and then he tries to make it too good. Instead of just continually laying in there, let the hitters hit the ball, let the defense work in his stuff because it's good, will naturally play in his favor. What have you noticed of guys trying to maybe at times trying to strike out batters too often, trying to go for that because that's the sexy stat, the K, and you know, increasing that K rate, right? So desired, and you see all these pitchers yeah. that can do it at the major league level. You know, how often do you see where that gets the best of these guys who are still developing, and specifically at this level in the USPBL? Well, it, you know, to be completely honest with you, it's something that's been increasingly tough for us because not only is it, you know, how hard can you throw it, but you want to ultimately try just to get the strikeout, right? And the guys that have been successful here and given opportunities, do they strike guys out? Yeah. But what they do is they command the baseball at a high level, and that's their mindset. And so, to bring a guy in that has the opposite mindset, which is all about velocity, it's just harder and more challenging to get him to adapt to, look, trust the stuff, attack the zone, repeat your delivery, then the results will continue to follow suit. Because anybody here, it's going to take a little bit of like compounding of results and consistent results to say, okay, what your talents is right, we can kind of see it show up. He's on, he's on his way. Let's give him an opportunity. And then a guy like Ty had two Tommy John operations yeah. within 13 months about of each other. Right. So the delivery value system, what you have founded, tries to limit injuries in pitchers, such as for Ty. So you've been working on that astronomically. Now, how did you actually come up with this delivery value system? Well, most of it started with my own personal playing career, to be honest. I mean, I was a first-round pick, and I was kind of rocketing through the Dodgers system. I was in A Memorial Day 2006, and came out of the start, felt good, but the next morning could lift my arm up. You know, so I ended up, long story short, losing 80% of my bicep tendon. And the surgeons tell me, you know, we don't know how many innings you have left, but there's definitely damage that was done. So from that point, I kind of went into analysis mode of, well, why me, right? Why not these other guys? Because I'm working just as hard. And so from that point, that's where I just slowly started to study the pitching delivery. But it wasn't until after I had to retire from the game where I started to really connect the dots. And that took me about five to six years to put this entire, you know, DVS system into a kind of systematic process that we could introduce in a league like this, that we can introduce in Major League Baseball to standardize the way that guys improve by measuring it. 
So being a first rounder yourself with the LA Dodgers back in 2004, yep. how much has that helped you out of what you do now with the USPBL as well? I think one thing that it helps me do in the eyes of our players is, you know, I can walk out in the field and yeah, I'm talking about a lot of kinematic sequencing and energy, right? But then I can do it. And I can like showcase it and you can just see the relative difference or the future of what these guys are trying to understand. So it's a good way to kind of, you know, give them a little bit of that physical look of what, oh, okay, this is what he's talking about here. Now, I'm not going to be able to do that forever. As you get older, right? But right but now, still It helps with the legitimacy of it, right? Because I can kind of back it up of what we're trying to have these guys do and they can see it. So DVS tries to limit injuries in pitchers once again. So how do you specifically go about doing so with DVS? So everybody that comes into our league, we, we go and we, we formally sit down with them for about an hour, right? Because we have to get to know what they know. And then we go into, okay, here's how you're thinking about and currently creating this energy. And that's all it is, right? You're moving to throw a baseball. And then we go into, well, here's how your movements are creating risk, and then, based off what we see, now your program set up to eliminate those risk factors in your daily program, and then start to working towards creating this nice systematic movement, we're efficient, and then ultimately we gotta go execute in the game. But the great thing about the USPBL is we allow time for guys to fail. You know, if a guy's definitely got this prospect level stuff, look, we'll work with him as long as he is willing to work as well. Because we're only half, half the equation here. Our player is the other half. So some guys have this herky-jerky motion, right? Yeah. Which you can like tell right away this guy's gonna end up injured at some point, right? Or there's a stronger likelihood, you would say, right? Based on watching this guy and their mechanics. I see Casey Mize. I want to bring him up really quick. Have you watched him? And anything you have to say about that guy that has now been injured and has been considered to have a herky-jerky motion that might affect him long-term too? Well, we have scored and studied Casey Mize because he's in our data set, right? So... You know, we consider him as a higher risk because he has a lower score, and I'm not going to publicly say what his his score is, uh, but he is lower, and there's things that he currently does within his pitch, pitching delivery that places him more at risk, right? And so the, the question is, just like myself, is is how long do the risk factors stay present? Because what we know statistically is, is that every, let's say, range of DVS scores that we've studied over the history of baseball here, they have also a window of when the injury will occur, right? And each range you kind of get up to, that window of when the time of injury occurs just extends out, right? And that's all we're trying to do is just, if it was 3,000 innings before you get hurt, well, maybe that's an entire career for a guy. You know, but right now, you know, we studied everybody that pitched in 2018, all the scores, it increasingly is happening faster, right? And like the average time to a major injury for a guy that's like just drafted is like 350 innings, 400 innings. It's like so fast because it's like there's just more emphasis to do more at an earlier age as these guys come up. And a guy that has a low or unsupported, let's say, uh, mechanical frame, lower DVS score, is throwing really harder. Well, he's just kind of escalating his time to when that injury may occur. So you're saying, I'm inferring here that guys back in the day, growing up, they weren't suffering injuries? 
at as early of an age or after only throwing maybe 350 innings, as you said. So they were throwing more innings before they succumbed to an injury, a major arm injury or something of that sort. That's right. I mean, the guys that we have in our data set that, you know, pitch in the 50s, 60s, 70s, a little part of the 80s, they grew up in kind of a different like era, right, or decade. Um, what we see is there wasn't the radar gun at the perfect game tournament. So the emphasis was more we talked about earlier, get the out, make a pitch, right? It's not like they came off the field, oh, man, you just threw up some zeros there, but you were only throwing like 82, right? No, I got, I got an out, and I, I wanted to pitch nine innings to give my team the best chance to win. So that was more of the thought, right? Now it's, well, I'm 15, I have to throw this miles per hour. I come to the USPBL, I have to throw 94. You know, some guys can do it more like easy than others, you know, but everyone still has to be able to pitch at the end of the day. And that's that's what gets rewarded. That's the Randy Dobnacks of the world, right? You know, Casey Mai is a great example of a guy who can pitch. He's been great, right? Awesome stuff. You know, the Tigers, they probably want him to pitch for 15, 20 years to maximize the value of him, right? So how important is velocity then? Because it's so enamored about, right, and desired. But how about just getting guys out? You brought that up in simplicity, right? Getting guys out is a key to the game, right? To success for pitchers, obviously. If you get guys out, you're going to pitch for a long, long time. Pitch for 15 or 20 years. So how important do you think truly is velocity? It's it's, it's definitely a part of the game. It's always going to have a high value, right? We could probably give examples of guys that had lower velocities with success, but they had high levels of command or movement, right? So you always have to have a combination of a little bit of both. Now with the craze of spin rate, we can measure vertical, horizontal break with everything. Guys are getting objectively quantified in terms of what pitch is better than another, right? But from what I've seen, just in terms of guys here at the USPBL progressing forward and guys staying in the big leagues, well, you have to have a standardization of stuff to be able to stay around, right? But at the same time, I say, once you have the standard of stuff, you have to continue to pitch and to be available to pitch and stay healthy. How about pitchers getting babied? I wanted to bring that up with yeah, you as well. I think yeah. we've touched upon it before when I talked to you last year. But these guys, at, you know, even in the minors and when they reach the majors, the pitch count, and it's so heavily emphasized the pitch count nowadays, where guys back in the day like Jack Morris were throwing 100-plus pitches per start, right? Yeah. So how about these guys getting babied? And is it negatively affecting these guys, you think, as they develop as well? Possibly. You know, at the same time, there's probably some guys that throw too much that shouldn't be because it's more at risk every time they throw the ball, right? I think the pitch count's an arbitrary number. I think it should be based upon uh, the pitcher's ability to repeat their delivery, the velocity inputs, right, how taxing it is on every pitch, and whether or not the mechanics alter pitch to pitch. And one of the things that we're doing here at the USPBL, obviously you saw we raised the mound up. We're also going to track mechanical fluctuations uh, between the first and third inning, third to fifth. We're going to see at what point does this guy truly start to break down? Does his stuff start to diminish? Does his mechanics change? And then we can say, hey, you know, this guy really has about 75 pitches. Hey, we didn't see any breakdown at 100 pitches here. We have had pitchers here, they throw 100 pitches, 95 pitches, 105 pitches. The recovery's good. There's no signs that they're getting taxed too much, right? There's other pitchers, they're 45 pitches, 60 pitches in. Well, it takes them three, four days to properly recover. So it's understanding the individual and then making that specific pitch count recommendation for that guy. So it's a case-by-case case basis. Case-by-case. Case. And that's how it should be, you're saying, for, sure. for pitchers. Yeah. How you would emphasize it. If yep. you were with the Major League Club as well, studying pitchers and evaluating them from start to start, you would say case-by-case case basis. Not everybody should be on the same pitch count. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like I, I remember when I first started getting to that, I read a book by Leo Mazzoni and he had all the Braves pitchers, right? And it was, you know, Smoltz could go longer than Maddox and Glavin. You know, he's more of the workhorse type guy, bigger, a little bit bigger frame, you know, through slightly harder. You know, those guys could work deep into games, but his regimen was slightly different. And so it was his pitch count to where they're in the dugout thinking about, all right, you know, what point should we get him out of there? You just kind of know each guy's relative range. But now we have so much extra stuff that we can track in Major League Baseball. Like, you know, is, the, is his break starting to get a little flatter? Okay. Is it starting to get flatter between in and 7 and 9 or pitches 80 to 100? Well, those indicators that he could be getting tired. Or when guys get tired out like second or third time through the batting order. Right. right? So, you know, the big one of if a guy got, you know, runners, he gave up a few runs in the third inning, comes back out, walks the first two, they're more taxing innings, which can lead to higher levels of stress within an outing, which does factor in. And that's why you got to make sure that the recovery cycle between outings for these players, you're not kind of getting them and driving them in too deep of positions. Here's a hot topic for you, the Tommy John epidemic. Sure. What do you think about these guys that undergo it at such a young age, 14 or 15 years young, not even years old, I like years mm-hmm. young is how I would put it. They're young guys still developing their bodies and muscles, right? So many muscles in their body are still developing. How about these guys undergoing it? And I've talked to Dr. Tommy John, by the way, Tommy John's son, about this epidemic as well. And he has spoken out about how these guys are undergoing the operation way too young. Yeah. Your thoughts on that, Justin? I'll give you a a really good example. And I actually talked to Tommy John himself, right? And so one of the questions I asked him was, well, how did you learn to pitch? Right. And he said, well, easy. I was sitting on the couch with my dad and watching baseball. He says, if you want to learn how to pitch, throw like this guy was Whitey Ford. So he goes out, he just starts pitching like Whitey Ford. Right. The thing is today and what we've studied is, you know, I don't think kids are watching as much baseball on TV, to be honest with you. Um, But the way that they're throwing doesn't really involve a lot of movement or athleticism, but it involves really trying to aggressively use the upper body to throw hard. So if their peers are around them, all throwing pretty similar, and I have a lot of data because we study the youth population as well, well, that leads to say, well, a lot of these kids are out there throwing not necessarily correctly, and if they're starting to go to more travel tournaments and playing extended you know, portions of the year, and they're not necessarily synced up properly, the injuries are going to occur faster. So at 14, 15, 16, the joint itself will become pretty damaged. And sometimes the only way to repair the joint is to have the operation. You know, so the part of it is, you know, the surgery itself has become probably, um, you know, pretty um, systematic in terms of where it could be okay. You know, it's not going to necessarily detriment this kid for the rest of his pitching career, but what will detriment him if he continues to throw the same way. And these guys are throwing more than pitching. Isn't there a difference, too? Like, I've heard of that. People bring that up. There's a difference between just throwing the baseball, trying to whip it by the batter, and actually pitching and, what, knowing the art of pitching, as Jim Price likes to say on the Mm -hmm. Tigers broadcast on radio? Yeah. How about that difference, too, there? Well, one of the things that we see, too, is guys that come into uh, the USPBL is, like, they never train off the mound. You know, and it's like everybody wants to go out and lawn toss or, you know, we don't allow weighted balls in the USPBL. But like if you're doing a weighted ball program and that's 25, 30 minutes of your training program, where is the extra 25, 30 minutes of learning how to command the baseball? And so some of that is a lost art because I'm just trying to train to throw the ball hard. Right. And compete in a game. But can you train to manipulate and consistently throw the ball wherever you want? Change speeds. And that's where I think the difference in training and like emphasis on when you train has changed today. 
And you brought up young guys not watching baseball nearly as often as when you were growing up, maybe even when I was yeah. growing up. I see it now. I'm like peers. They don't get into it. They don't watch yeah. baseball games, let alone, you know, the Tigers who are the home team, but they're not very good. It's hard to watch consistently. But good baseball on MLB Network and the kids aren't watching it. How big of an epidemic is that? And also with the youth playing baseball at a young age. Well, I think both are married there because, you know, kids now they're, you know, scheduled more, right? So it's like, well, they're they're really, really uh, engaged and in tune with what their team's doing, right? But because they're playing on the weekends and they may have school during the week or brother insisting sibling that has another activity, when are they going to sit around and watch a ball game on TV? Because they're doing something else. So that built in, hey, you know, my team's playing tonight. I want to sit here and watch some of my stars, you know, that's not happening. And I think, you know, the kids that we work with here locally, you ask them who their favorite players, some kids take them a while to answer. They don't really know the marquee names, you know. And I think that that's the difference in the culture. I mean, there are more options, whether it's an iPad or Netflix or I'm playing on my own team. And, you know, when I was growing up, it's like you had WGN and TBS with the Braves and the Cubs and you had, you know, Sunday night game of the week. So you were watching the you know, teams play and you knew who the, you knew who the players were. And – I feel like at times, too, it's oversaturated maybe even now. And then the kids, I think more importantly, have more options, like you said, with the technology and Netflixing and doing other things, you know, eSports with their friends and just other options are out there. And then they're busy. They're traveling year-round, which I don't think was the case with the kids when you were growing up, right? I don't think that was just such as big of a thing going on at one time. Yeah, I mean, the, the travel circuit and, you know, uh, just more youth-involved sports, I mean, it's become something over the last 10 to 15 years, which has really, you know, taken more of a forefront. You know, we had it available when I grew up, but it wasn't like – the thing you had to do, you know, it was, a, it was an option if you wanted to do it. It wasn't like, uh, you know, you might want to really consider this, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. Like there's a lot of youth programs that I directly deal with, have been involved with, have worked with kids a part of that are doing it right, right? They have the best interests of the kid. They're going about it with safe protocols and practices, and it's good for the child. You know, they can learn some really competitive skills they can develop the skill set there's a lot of team stuff there they can learn commitment responsibilities all good things right but when it comes down to the medical side right and the injury side you know that's where i kind of entered in the conversation a little bit but let me ask you this too prep baseball at the high school level you know playing for your high school which i think was bigger at one point too than now then the travel circuit which has taken over and people are doing that plus playing at prep schools yeah so how about the importance perhaps still of playing at your high school and how you can still succeed right by playing at your own high school and you can get to college or get to the majors Absolutely. I mean, it has become one of these things to where I think that everyone feels like if they don't hop on, you know, a flight and get down to the perfect game and get seen that they're going to lose the opportunity. Right. Well, it all goes back to if you have something that is worth showcasing, you can go to a camp, you can play in high school. People will know who you are. It circulates quickly. Right. And it's always been that way. People will come find you. They'll hear about you. It'll, it'll work. And it always evens out, right? But if you want to essentially really, really boost your profile with the stuff, then, yeah, those events are, are there for you because you get entered into a computer, and then anybody can search you. 
and then it becomes easier for the organization to get more information on you because you've been entered into a database multiple times. Now, how about, let's get back to this. We're yeah. sitting here at Jimmy John's Field and watching some uh, field work be done. Right. But games here, and let me ask you specifically, this league, how does it stand out when compared to other independent ball leagues throughout the country? Well, I only speak from the, you know, the stadiums that I've been a part of and I've played in and the feedback we've gotten from our players and the scouts that come in. But, you know, I think that the best vocal, you know, recommendation that we have is from the scouts that come here. You know, they've been all these ballparks and then, you know, they get here and they sit 30 feet behind home plate kind of right where we are now and they look at the atmosphere they look at the things that we have you know going on with the dance teams and the bat dog and you know all the different options that we have in the craft beer garden it's like wow this is a really cool atmosphere you know and it is you know when I first kind of started doing this I would kind of have to remind myself just kind of walk the concourse right because I can easily zero in on the baseball but the atmosphere in terms of the fan experience is pretty cool. And how about getting the young kids here as well? I mean, that's been happening, it seems like. And it's a great family atmosphere as well no at Jimmy John's Field. And that's kind of been one of the visions of Andy, you know, from the beginning. You know, we have the right field, you know, kids play area, you know, and the families know that, hey, I can go to um, Jimmy John's Field. My kids are loving it. There's something for everybody here. And we can have a great family night. Randy Dobnik has made it to the big leagues now with the Twins, has even pitched in a game. What else would you like to see done, though, with this league moving forward? You know, I think that it's only um, a logical progression that we show signs that we're moving forward and expanding. I know Andy wants to get another ballpark. And I think for us, you know, being able to continually show, you know, I'm speaking from the baseball side, to show that we're improving players and we continually to build more relationships with uh, MOB organizations. And you never know. I mean, one of my goals and visions would to be like a true development league for Major League Baseball. You know, I know we're independent, but I think the, the ability, you know, if we continue to prove it for organizations to say, hey, you know, USPBL is doing a great job giving these players an opportunity. Why not for us to send some of our guys there, you know, have an opportunity to play games, have a good atmosphere. Otherwise, maybe they're an extended right, playing some games, but they could send them here. And development is so huge over here. And you have guys that aren't just based here. You know, you have a guy like Pat Adams, I know, from Warren, Michigan. Yeah. But it's not like everybody's a local, local product that right. was born and has resided in Michigan, For sure. right? Yeah. And speak about that. Who are some of those guys out there that just, they don't live close, they weren't from Michigan that have come here to play in this league? Yeah, I mean, we got guys from Texas, Oklahoma, California, Florida, Virginia, North Carolina, a lot of Jersey PA guys, right? And, you know, the thing of what we're offering really is, it is the opportunity and the resources, right? And we're not going to be paying guys multi-thousands of dollars to play in our league, right? Because we want to say, look, come here after, you know, the, the draft or after your college season's over, give it three months, you know, get this opportunity, get this knowledge, soak it up. It could change your life, you know, and that's kind of where we get back to Randy. Same thing. He was here for seven weeks. I mean, that's uh, not a long time, right? But that opportunity initially that he proved Hey, I can pitch. I got a little better here in terms of showcasing a little bit better stuff. I was the best pitcher in the league at a certain point when the Twins decided to sign me. Now you see what's going on. Give it a try. Give, Give it two try. to three months and see what happens. But you can train and definitely develop here as well. Yep, because the players will see that when you come here, it's different. Really quick, I'll leave you with this, Justin. What is one unique thing about you that many people do not know? 
could be baseball related, non-baseball related, anything that comes to your mind right now. As I'm making you think, I know a little bit here too. Unique thing about myself, I would say that, you know, I've always probably considered myself um, like a, a non-athlete. Um, I've always been kind of like the, the book smart guy, maybe. You know, I always considered myself the whole time I grew up playing is like academics first, baseball second or sports second. I just happen to throw a ball real hard, you know? <laughs> and so a lot of that, you know, in terms of my school and my business training has kind of helped me today. And with the delivery value system, it's about numbers. That's you have right. to crunch numbers and know how to use them, right? Yeah. As well in so many words. Yeah, so, you know, ultimately this may be a message for the youth out there is like my education has helped me in kind of this second phase of my, my career, so to speak, my business career, my professional career outside of baseball and my playing career. Do well in school too. It is so important. And Justin, we'll leave with the kids and everybody else with that message here That's on this correct. week's podcast. Thank you very much for all the time. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you. And thanks, Justin, for all the time on this episode of the USPBL pod. And now for a quick check of the standings in the United Shore Professional Baseball League. First with the East Division, where the Utica Unicorns are lead with a record of 23-18. and 18. And they lead the Eastside Diamond Hoppers by eight and a half games. The Diamond Hoppers currently standing at 14 and 26. In the West Division, thus far this season, much more competitive, with the Westside Woolly Mammoths leading at 22 and 18, followed by the Birmingham Bloomfield Beavers standing at 20 and 17, a half game back of the Woolly Mammoths. And now to the promotions taking place at the ballpark at Jimmy John's Field this week. Starting with Wednesday, which is always two-for-one Wednesdays. And also this Wednesday, it is ALS Awareness Night, presented by the ALS Association of Michigan. And then on Thursday, you have Thirsty Thursday, which, you know, I love. I have brought that up numerous times now. It's something that my friends and I just a love at Jimmy John's Field. Plus, how about this, guys? The Budweiser Clydesdales. Yes, the Budweiser Clydesdales are coming to Jimmy John's Field. Check it all out tomorrow night at Jimmy John's Field. Then on Friday night is Prostate Cancer Awareness Night, as well as Friday Fireworks Spectacular. On Saturday night, it is Country Music Night at the ballpark, featuring the J. Daniel Band. And then last but not least, on Sunday Fun Day, it is Beauty and the Beast coming to the ballpark. So you have all of that happening at Jimmy John's Field in downtown Utica from tonight until Sunday. With all of that being said, before I get out of here on this week's episode of the USPBL podcast, I have one more note to bring up, and it is the Player of the Week in the United Shore Professional Baseball League. And that would be for this past week, Zach Gray of the Eastside Diamond Hoppers. Gray, a native of Hamilton, Ohio, earned the honor for the first time this season by batting an impressive 667 over three games. He also walked twice and posted a 727 on-base percentage. Now, on the season, he has started in 34 of the 35 games he has played in, as well as has batted 277 with seven doubles, one triple, one home run, 14 walks, and 20 RBIs. He ranks tied for third in the league in doubles and tied for ninth in runs driven in. 
Gray and the Diamond Hoppers will be in action tonight against the West Side of Woolly Mammoths at 7.05 p.m. Remember, gates open at 6 p.m. And it is two-for-one Wednesdays, which means you can buy one grandstand ticket and get another for free, plus buy a hot dog and get one dog for free. Fans can also take batting practice on the field after the game. So congrats to Zach on that honor, and best of luck to him the rest of the way this season in the USPBL. And guys, that wraps up this week's episode of the USPBL pod. I am your host, Vito Churko, signing off. Adios. The United Shore Professional Baseball League games at Jimmy John's Field are the fun family entertainment experience that you just can't afford to miss. It's Thirsty Thursdays, Firework Fridays, Live Music Saturdays, and Sunday Fun Day for the kids. And don't forget, kids get to run the bases after every game. And parking is always free. Jimmy John's Field in downtown Utica is your summer destination. Get your tickets today at USPBL.com.